0: that's something that the industry needs more than anything else is something that somebody could get on that doesn't have a gearbox that still has a throttle so you're still riding a motorcycle and get you started man get you started and you don't even need right now you need to ride those you don't need insurance you don't need a license you can just jump on the thing and ride it out of your house ride to the store and back you know and that's i think a pretty cool place
1: to be
2: We're going to do our best to get new thinking out there. There's going to be discussions centered around growth and new thinking. That's where those great ideas come from, exploring them together. Nuggets that you can go back
1: and put into your dealership that'll help you make more money. This is GarageCast. Welcome to GarageCast episode number 40. On the line with
2: me in the virtual studio, as always, is uh, Sam Dansler. Sam, was shaking with you down in Denver? Not a bike. I think you know I got a uh, bit of a motorcycle trip coming up, and I got my rack mounted to the back of my Kawasaki H2SX with my bicycle mounted to the back of the bike, so I'm pretty fired up to take that trip. Nice. I was like, you're going to have a lot of fun.
1: Yeah. Speaking of motorcycles... I got to tell you, we have a super special guest on the podcast with us today on episode 40. I want to thank two people for this interview. First, I want to thank my man, Nate Stickney. Runs a great little outfit out of uh, Orlando called Sky Power Sports Orlando. He's the first guy that was like, hey, man, you got to get Roland sands on your podcast. You got to talk to that guy. And so uh reached out several ways. I know Roland's a super duper busy guy. And so then the other people I want to thank is I reached the Indian team at Polaris and saw if they could get me in touch with Roland and they did. Roland Sands, welcome to the Garage Cast. We thank you so much for doing this.
0: Hey, thanks for having me on, guys. It's always uh, always fun to chat
1: with people who are stoked on two wheels and motorcycles and you know, just progressing things. Let, let's just get right into it because um we're we're pumped about doing this interview because Sam and I We're most certainly consultants. We're all over uh, the motorcycle industry. We're big into the scene. But I got to tell you, we're both super big enthusiasts. And one thing that I love about you that I've seen is, and I know you'll, you'll understand this, is you can look at a bike and really understand beauty. Not just a machine, but you see things like, like, oh my God, that's just a perfect bike. So... Your motorcycle designs are unlike anyone else's in the world. They're, they're a mixture of all kinds of things. So it's a really hard question. But do you just feel and envision your bikes or do you just build as you go?
0: I mean, every, every project that we do has like a different approach, I would say. But most of the time, we start with a render. Like I'll, I'll sketch the bike and I'll render the bike and I try and get to a point where we, we have a bit of a roadmap on how to get where we want to go. And we've been doing it long enough. I've been building bikes since like, well, since I was really 16 years old, which is kind of crazy now. Even earlier than that, I guess I was, I was working on my dirt bikes and stuff when I was younger, like call it customizing dirt bikes, but I was making my dirt bikes trick. And then I got into race bikes and building race bikes and, you know that just kind of moved into building a whole bunch of different stuff and taking different approaches so i think with doing all that it was a matter of like how do we truly obtain the end result that we want you know and there were definitely times when I just like looked at a bike and figured out what we're going to do on the spot, but um after so much trial and error and not wanting to waste time it's like hey let's 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 render the bike, let me learn how to do that as well as I can and get as close from the geometry perspective and an aesthetic perspective a with what's possible and b with how to how to make the thing still function well
2: Let me follow up on that one you ever you ever get that thing into production and then you look at it you're like, uh nope, this didn't work." <laughs>
0: You know, like that stuff happens all the time. I mean, when we think something's going to work and you put it together, it just doesn't look the way you want it to. I mean, I, I don't think any bike, I've we've never built what I would call a perfect bike. You know, there's never a bike that I don't want to change something at the end. But as with like most projects in your life, you know, you can't make things perfect. If you try and always strive for this perfection, you're never going to finish anything. You got to kind of settle for really good a lot of times and especially if you if you have i think a high level or a higher vision of what something should be aesthetically and and you know because that can come down to every single detail every bolt every washer every little finishing detail on the bike i'd say i used to strive for perfection a lot more with every detail now i'm more so i i know that if it's my motorcycle i'm gonna eventually end up fucking it up anyway so (laughs) Yeah. Like perfections, like something <laughs> that like maybe it was perfect at one time, but I don't even want to
1: have a perfect
0: motorcycle anymore. I want to have something that I can have fun on and ride.
1: It's funny from the artist perspective because you talk to artists, whether they're actors, whether they're, you know, painters, whatever. And it seems like they're never just like what you said. Yeah. It's a really damn good bike, but it's not perfect. But in the eyes of the beholders, the people that are looking at it, I mean, I spent a lot of time on the net researching a lot of stuff you've done and those bikes are pretty damn perfect. They're, they're insane. (laughs) So that's, that's a super cool answer, man.
0: We definitely like put a high level of detail into everything we build. And if we have the time, you know, and the budget to do it, we do pay attention to every single thing. I mean, you know, we special order every bolt and every washer and make sure that it's all like as trick as we want it to be. But yeah, it's all, it's always a challenge, man. It's always a challenge to try and reach a, something that you're really happy with.
2: And and just to follow up on my earlier one, Roland, when that thing comes out and and you look at it and you're like, ah, it's just not right. Do you end up swapping up a wheel or some exhaust or uh, hitting it with another set of paint to try to make it right? And does that usually fix it or is it kind of all or nothing at the time of creation?
0: we've repainted bikes plenty of times. (laughs) That's probably the most frustrating thing is to get a paint job. That isn't what you originally wanted, you know? Um, but it's, it's just a matter of numbers. I mean, when you build as many bikes as we built, I, I don't, I don't even know the number anymore. I mean, I think it's like probably upwards of 250 bikes, you know, um, not, not one of them is a production bike. Um, you're, you're going to eventually run across something you don't like, even though, I mean, my painter, Chris Wood is, um, I've been working with them since 2003. God, I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. With that
2: comment. <laughs>
0: Damn. Yeah. I mean, I've been working with Chris for a really long time and Chris Wood at Airtrix is just a fantastic painter. Um, just one of the most creative and skilled guys that I know in, in the realm of paint work, you know, and we, have a really interesting relationship. I mean, we yell at each other all the time. And, um, you know, it's always always funny. It's just like one of those relationships where I can call him and basically call him names and he can do the same to me. And at the end of the day, we just end up, you know, wanting to make sure that both of us are happy with the end result, you know? And there's been times when I've miscommunicated what I wanted to him, or maybe he just huffed too much paint that day and didn't understand what I was saying, you know? (laughs) And like, it goes back and forth where, you know, like, you just got to in the end, just like, Hey man, it's not about who was wrong or who was right. And that goes for all forms of building the bike. It's like, let's just get to the end creation and realize that the journey and like trying to get there is that's the process, you know, And the process is never perfect, it's never fucking perfect. As As much and as many bikes as we've built, like it seems like the process constantly wants to change and you're trying to fight to have some like sense of normality with how you're building things. but. It's always different every single day, even today.
2: I'm, I'm asking because I always want to think about our dealers who are listening, and as they build these stores and as they reposition themselves in different stores, and some go bigger to square footage, and some go to little niche shops, and uh, I, I always wonder, what can they learn about the approach to design that maybe you have created, whether it's store layout or website, et etc, you know, they have this perfect idea in their head, and then is it possible to throw another color? you know another coat of paint on there or can we move the parts department to the back and for all the <laughs> stores where your product lives is there a solution that maybe they can learn from as far as uh, it not being quite what they want
0: it, it's tough because um you know when you've done work already and then you have to redo it and especially in a bike shop you just have this labor rate so i think they look at they look at every hour they spend on the bike is like 100 bucks 120 bucks or whatever their labor rate is so every time somebody's working on a bike it's like dude you're just spending money where you know you when it comes to customizing a bike and we do have to look at it financially if you're doing it for business but there's that intangible of like are you hanging out just staring at the bike and looking at things and figuring things out before you even do that you know like it's like if a guy's sitting there not spinning wrenches but he's sitting there thinking sometimes that work is is more valuable than spinning wrenches for the wrong reasons I think you just, you got to spend time with the bike. You got to, if you're, if you're, and if you're customizing your own bike, of course, you're doing that. You're dreaming about it, you know, but if you're doing a customer's bike, it, it pays to just sit there and think and talk about it. And most of the time, two heads are better than one, you know, and you can sit and discuss how you can obtain something or, or how you can make something the way you want it. And I don't know. It's like constantly evolves, man. the process constantly evolves. And it's like I said, it still evolves for us. There's no one way to do it. I think it's just in the doing. You just got to do it.
2: On the backside of that, relative to store layout, is there something relative to design that you've seen where you have your product inside of these stores that these stores are cookie cutter with a path that goes around them or they're completely, utterly unique, just kind of like the product you have is there? Is there some consistency in store design?
0: I mean, the stores, you know, the, I think the, the Harley dealerships do the best job of uh, merchandising, you know, on the floor, um, a lot, a lot of times and a lot of the the independent Harley dealerships as well. I mean, if they're, if they're selling, you know, non Harley branded products, um, like say, you know, if they're setting up our apparel or whatever, I mean, you just got to know your customer and you gotta, you gotta merchandise for the customer. I I really like to be able to see work that's happening, you know, like having, say, if you do have a custom shop, um, having the ability for customers to see the work that's going Mm -hmm. on, I think helps inspire them to see what's possible. Um, But it also brings like the customization forward into the showroom. And that's like a pretty special thing, you know, motivates people to spend money and it motivates people to dream.
1: Yeah, I dig that. And that's funny that you say that because a lot of our progressive dealers have now opened up their, their service departments, you know, by either putting just up a, a, a half wall so you can see what's shaking or they put it behind glass so they can see the technicians work. So, Super interesting. Um, you know, b- ballpark me, are, are you in a lot of motorcycle dealerships? Uh, is your product, uh, Roland Sands Designs, are you in a lot of OEM held uh, dealerships or or around the country?
0: Yeah, yeah. Quite a few. Um, I mean, you know, you got to look at it. We do quite a bit of different product from, you know, we have a collaboration with Bell Helmets that we've had for over 10 years now. So I usually got three or four helmets in rotation with them. And we sell to a lot of the major distribution companies um, you know we've got to deal with fox suspension so we're doing fox suspension for uh, the new milwaukee eight baggers and soft tails. you know we do a collab deal with 100 goggles um, we do product collabs with bmw uh, worldwide um, and we do a product collab with indian worldwide as well for the indian ftr so we and, and then we have our own product line which is our own apparel line you know and that that's really head to toe and uh the hard parts you know we do bmw hard parts we do we do harley Davidson hard parts indian hard parts things like that so a lot of the dealers that will dabble in this stuff some of them if they can pull from distribution will stock a bit of it but a lot of times it's like guys will come in and ask for it and they can order it which is nice but yeah i mean we work hard to to spread to spread the brand across a lot of different ideas
1: well, that's cool because the main listeners to this podcast, Roland, are actual boots on the ground motorcycle dealerships globally. So we have people listening from Europe, from Asia, from North America, Canada, Mexico. How do they uh, take a, a peek at, at your stuff and get it into their stores?
0: Excellent. Yeah. I mean, certainly you can always, uh, if you if, if you don't have access to the stuff, you can contact us. And it's info at I mean, you can follow us on Instagram at Sands design. My personal is at Roland Sands, um, you know, Facebook, all that stuff. You can just search our name and you can get to us. And then, you know, where you're going to find everything that we do is on our website, and that's rollinsands.com. And really, that's the most up to date place to see the bikes we build, the product we're putting out, you know, some of the smaller, uh, unique little collections of product we did uh, that we do. We just launched this like uh, Paris the Car BMW collection that's based on a bmw gs 1200 paris the car replica bike that we finished a few months back so we're kind of constantly launching these little collections and doing these little collabs and stuff so it just gets people a, a smaller unique look at our products and exclusive stuff as well
2: you're talking about the, them finding you online um and i know you have quite the marketing team over there in some interviews that i've seen but Those leads, do those leads get pushed to dealers? Do you guys handle that right out of the gate? I'm I'm talking specifically with your product, your Roland Sands Design Gear. Are there leads that get pushed to the dealers? Uh, And if so, how's that handled? Is that internal from your team or is that automatic push? I'm just trying to find the correlation here. Other than you have product that's in the showroom of our dealers, how that happens.
0: We distribute our hard parts, um, through Tucker Rocky and drag specialties. Uh, Western power has our Fox suspension, Bell home itself distributes. So dealers buy direct from Bell, our apparel, uh, you can buy direct from us, or we also work with Komodo. Um, and you can, we're distributing our apparel through Komodo and we work with Revzilla. you know, we're kind of, we work with everybody a little bit here and there. And, um, so our product is available in quite a few places, but like I said, I mean, if you have any questions about anything that we do, you can call Roland Sands design directly. You can email info at Roland Sands design. We'll get right back to you. Um, and we'll figure out the best way for people or we'll figure out the best way to get product purchased. Um, I mean, a lot of times if it's overseas dealers, we do ship to overseas dealers straight out of our web store as well. So our web store is a great place to see everything that we do. And if there's interest in any of the products, you can just contact us direct and we'll figure out the best way to get it to you.
1: Killer. I want to change gears. Um, uh, you started out on motorcycles at a very young age. Um, Did your family live that motorcycle lifestyle or did you kind of fall in love on your own?
0: No, I, I, I have been riding like dirt bike since I was five years old. I mean my first memory of a motorcycle is definitely though I mean in my dad's shop um my dad and mom definitely lived the motorcycle life my dad more so my mom was more so she was along for the ride but she used to ride she used to ride ATVs and you know quads and all kinds of stuff but um she ended up she got pretty weeded out at Glamis when I was I'd say I must have been 13 and she um she crashed a a quad and crushed her spleen, and mm. uh, damn near almost died out in the middle of the desert, man. Um, oh boy, jeez. We brought her back to the hospital in Banning. If you've ever been out to Glamis, Banning Hospital is not a real luxurious hospital, and <laughs> they they saved her, you know. And that was kind of gnarly. So my mom stopped riding, but we continued. I continued to ride, you know, obviously until today. Um, but my dad would constantly take us out to the desert. We were out, you know, we either water skiing or riding dirt bikes or snow skiing like seemed like every freaking weekend my dad was so active when we were younger and he just liked to charge everything and so I had a I had a probably a fairly broad upbringing you know like it wasn't just motorcycles though it was surfing and skating and um like a lot of action sports stuff you know growing up in Growing up in Long Beach and growing up on the West Coast here on the beach, it was easy to get into just about everything fun. So I had a pretty diverse background in a lot of board sports,
2: too. And a a whole lot of racing, from what I found out. just uh, A lot of racing. (laughs) Just just under a decade of that. And I'll tell you, um, I got the opportunity to go to that Keith Code Racing School out in California and uh, turn a lap around or a few laps um, out there. and. And, you know, from one lap to the next, you think you're a hero. And the next lap, you're like, I'm done. I'm out. <laughs> I literally <laughs> almost died on that last lap going through the corkscrew at Laguna Seca. But yeah. uh, that's as close as I've ever come. And for somebody to put almost 10 years into racing, I got to hear how that came about. And then how'd you give it up?
0: Oh, man. Dude, what's funny is now I look back and I mean, I feel like that was like a whole nother life ago. And I, I mean, awesome. I guess it really was, you know, because I, I, I stopped racing in 2002 professionally road racing. So that's, that's like 18 years ago. Oh my God, that isn't a lifetime ago. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean the road racing thing for me was um, something that my dad actually kind of hit me too. Cause he saw that I was, I was kind of getting after it on the street quite a bit. Um, so we did a few rides up to Laguna Seca and then I was riding some local roads around here. I had ZX7R at the time when I was like 18 years old And my dad wanted to get me off the street because I was starting to want to go ride all the time. And he's like, listen, he's like, I I don't want you racing in the canyons. He's like, and he knew Nick Einach at the time, um, who was riding 250 Grand Prix bikes and a cat named Steve Boganski. He used to tune for Nick. And so he got me a 250 GP bike, which was like, well, I'm just going to, you're going to race this. This is the bike. And and, uh, that was kind of his deal at the time. You know, he didn't want to put me on a 600 and for whatever reason he got me on a 250 so that's what I started riding man and that was that was what I pretty much stuck to my entire racing career it was like uh i think you couldn't race a more pure motorcycle than a 250 grand prix bike at the time and um it was it was super fun man
2: probably better for you huh to to be able to crank on the throttle as opposed to getting carried away with a 600
0: i th- i think so i mean um and it crafted a certain style of riding that I still carry with me today. You had to be fragile. You had to be fragile with how you rode the bikes, but you could ride them as hard as you possibly could. If you took your, if you took your time and wasn't a, more in a hack on the gas and, you know, but that, that too also took me back to the Keith code thing. Um, that, that was what really got me started in road racing was the Keith code school actually going out to big willow and riding around with Keith. And Keith actually helped me out quite a bit as I was racing and like, just coming up through the ranks there was one weekend out of out of big willow i crashed i think three times in one weekend <laughs> at Jeez. big willow which is like an average you know you're going 100 mile per hour average speed so it wasn't they weren't minor get-offs you know i was able to smash the bike <laughs> back together and actually race um but i got i got banned from racing for a few months and well, um, i got
2: yeah. i gotta tell you when you start at age 18 uh, with a ZX seven R that's, that's like somebody saying, I'm going to go learn to fly an airplane. Well, what are you going to start with? I'm going to pick the Tesla rocket chip to start with. That's what <laughs> I'm going to fly with. That's a-
0: yeah. I mean, I don't, it, it's, it's funny. Cause I was, a have been riding motocross for so long that I, un, I understood how a motorcycle worked, but you know, you get on the racetrack and like you're, um, you're, you're, Eyes are bigger than your appetite, perhaps, or way bigger than your skill level, you know, and I had to learn all these I had to learn all this shit through crashing. <laughs> like I never <laughs> learned a lesson once. It always took like two or three times to learn a lesson. And then I started over. Once I got a little faster, I had to learn the lessons all over again. You know, once you change the the uh the way the bike works when you start riding it harder and harder. So it was an experience for sure. And I'm happy to have walked away. From, from racing like complete and still being able to surf and skate and do all that stuff I wanted to do.
2: Well, I, I love that you experienced that side of it, right? You come in from the dirt side and then you're, you're playing with the race bikes in the street side and ultimately ending up uh, doing a whole lot of work on the Harley side. And with Polaris one, look at your website says you do a whole lot of Ducati bikes and uh, all kinds of Kawasaki Indian, all the above. So uh, very cool. The scope that you have relative to the whole industry.
0: Yeah. We're non-denominational, man. Um, everyone asks like, Oh, how do you, how do you work on so many projects with so many people? And it's, it's, it is really that straight up love of two wheels that makes it possible. But also I've, I've, I've never like just said, Hey, I'm signing up with this one brand, you know, to build one type of thing with this one company. It's, it's always been a matter of like, we're able to build a lot of different things in a lot of different places. So whether we're working with Indian and BMW, which we're doing a lot of right now, um, you know, or we've done so much stuff with, you know, Ducati in the past. And we've done some work with Harley in the past. Um, pretty much every OEM, Aprilia. Uh, we built, you know, 450s for Honda and 450s for Aprilia, the little 450 road racers and with Kawasaki. And man, just about everybody, KTM, Husky, you know, a little bit of everything.
1: Yeah. You know what? I love that. Sam and I are the same way as we do a lot of consulting work for a lot of the OEMs out there. And we are the exact same way. And and I kind of started out with you with that is that you find the beauty in all things. Like I can I can really look at a GS twelve hundred adventure and be like, God, man, that's just a gorgeous bike. And I can look at my Polaris Razor and I can think, man, that thing looks badass. Harley Davidson yeah. Softtail, Indian FTR. I mean, they're all just kick ass. So I, I think it's cool that you kind of touch all different brands with your flair and your spice, you know. So I dig that, man. Um, I want to move from two fifties into something that I just think is flat crazy. You built a Desmo flat track bike, right?
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> so, so just a, a touch aggressive, or what? What were we thinking there?
0: Oh man, you know, I had a customer who was who was uh, just wanted. I think mainly he wanted to piss people off. Like he was one of those type of dudes, you know, and and he wanted to build something that was gonna make a stir. So he's like, "Let's cut up a Desmo," and I'm like, "Oh shit." Um, I kind of knew that we were getting into it, you know, right, right from the beginning. I knew we were going to catch a lot of flack for building the bike. Um, but we took our, we took our time with it and, and we took some care with it and we actually didn't cut the bike up at all. Um, I think we may have removed a couple tabs off the frame, um, just for some of the electronics that stuck off the side of the bike, but we like actually retained the stock geometry of the frame and built a pretty legit flat tracker out of it, a a legit 200 horsepower flat tracker. So (laughs) yeah, yeah, it was sketchy for sure. It was super sketchy.
1: For any of the listeners out there, a Ducati Desmos Adichie, it's, it's I don't know, Roland, what what would you say it's akin to in the car world? I mean, I'm thinking Lamborghini, (sighs) I'm thinking Ferrari. I mean, it's badass, right? And it's this, it is this beautiful, sleek, perfection, they break every mold after they cast the engine uh, yeah. and it runs like a gem and Roland cut it up and decided to flat track the damn thing. I think that's crazy.
0: Yeah. I, you know, it's, it is probably akin to taking a McLaren and, you know, turning it into a, probably a rally car, you know? <laughs> yeah. And for some people, that's the coolest thing in the world you can do. And for other people, that's absolute sacrilege. So you know, we're, like I said, we're non-denominational. We ride right in the middle.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm waiting for the uh, Roland Sands design scooter lineup coming. That's the one. The scooter lineup? <laughs> That's right. We did
0: do a scooter. We actually, you know, one of the brands I didn't mention was Yamaha. And we've done a lot of stuff with Yamaha. I, r- I raced Yamaha TC250s. And then later, we, we actually did quite a few cool projects with Yamaha. And one of those was a, um, oh, that was the scooter, was a T-Max. <laughs> and we turned the T-Max into like a little T-Max Supermoto. So we stripped all the bodywork off of it. And it's got this crazy little like banana-shaped aluminum frame. And uh, yeah, that was a super fun one.
2: I, I want to see the Honda Monkey next. You trick be out be badass Honda too. Monkey.
0: <laughs> oh, did you see that one on the website?
2: No, I totally threw that out there. Where?
0: serious you didn't you, know we were you going? did a
1: honda you, you redid a honda monkey
0: we're in the middle of building a monkey right now for <laughs> um for Wee man from jackass
1: oh shut up and okay so how do people find that like did they just go to google and put your name in and monkey or what
0: yeah it's called the we monkey um i think <laughs> we posted it on our website i'd have to look um but for sure it's on instagram and you'll see pictures of them but we'll be we'll be doing a whole blog on the on the bike build and um the thing's trick, dude. It is we just took and took I think all of the best parts that we could throw on it. We're fabricating a bunch of stuff for it. And then we're um we had to lower the seat height because his uh you know, because he's a small dude, his inseam is like like twelve <laughs> inches shorter than mine. I think it's like a seventeen inch inseam. So the original seat height was like thirty one inches, so we had to get it down to like seventeen inches, which is pretty
2: crazy. I'm gonna have to find that one. That's uh, that was a total guess. I can't wait to see that now. That's gonna be great. That's awesome, um, dude. That's that's rad. You brought that up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you you know, so many builders, and and there were all the TV shows years ago, and I don't know where all those guys are. I think a lot of people kind of pigeonhole themselves out of a job, quite frankly, by not keeping up. But you're constantly setting new trends, both with the, um, you know, with your 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 apparel lineup, which is technical enough to be technical, but cool enough you can walk into a bar and still have it on. Uh, and your bikes and kind of the synergy between those two, uh, I kind of a two part question. How do you keep up or do you keep up? Do you even care? (sighs) Dude,
0: I, you know, I have an awesome team, man. Um, the, the whole team here at the shop kicks ass from Jay to the store. My sister's my GM. So she's yelling at me constantly. She's, she's actually my boss. I'm, I'm barely (laughs) the boss here. Um, Aaron boss builds the bikes. Cameron Brewer helps run the race team and helps with the bike builds. Um, you know, helps run the super hooligan program. Nathan Verdugo is our marketing guy. We got Rob Ramlos who runs our apparel division. Uh, Joe Hitzelberger runs our marketing department and is our art director. Um, we got Alex who runs our, uh, our website. Um, Amy, who's downstairs works with Jay in apparel. Um, yeah. And then Andy Schmidt, who's like our in-house musician and woodsman and does all kinds of wild shit, drives the truck. Man, I mean, it's, it's a cool team. We got a really cool team here at the shop.
1: I love that answer. I can tell you're honest because that was your first foot forward is outwardly point to the team that, that supports you, surrounds you and does all the heavy lifting for you.
0: Shit, man. At I got to have some time to take vacation, you know,
1: I know. Right. But seriously, <laughs> at the end of the day, and I understand you're being a humble guy, but at the end of the day, there are a list of names of people that were doing all kinds of custom stuff That was, I mean, trend setting, tip of the uh, sword, and they're gone. Uh, You have remained and you've remained relevant and viable products. What is it about what you are doing, Roland, you yourself? Because it's your mind and your ideas that's really driving this. What do you think is different about you and why do you have staying power? I think it's
0: because I'm like always a little bit, because I never stop and celebrate anything. (laughs) Yeah we've done sometimes I look back at some of the projects we've done and I'm just like, Whoa, that was heavy. You know, that was a tremendous amount of work and a tremendous amount of effort, but I don't maybe come to work on Monday morning after a weekend and, and, uh, sleep on it or rest. I don't know. I just, I, I, I just have this incessant need to like uh, to do the next thing and to look for the next thing. And if I don't know what it is to listen to somebody else, and to talk to people and have conversations about it. And I like to listen to other people. I like to get their opinions. And I like to then take you know those opinions and you know see how it plays into what I believe. And at the end of the day, I mean, if I'm talking to people who I appreciate and trust and and who I admire, and they think that the ideas are good, and I think their ideas are good, and they blend together to be something really cool, then it makes a lot of sense. And sometimes I just wake up with a crazy idea and run with it. Like, yeah, it's Those, ideas are like, they're like assholes, man. We all got tons of them, but, um, you know, sometimes you just got to pick the right ones.
2: Wait, we all got tons of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I I just have to go research that a little bit more. Um, I, I'm the yeah. only guy in this podcast who does take notes and I did write down, Tony, he likes to listen to other people. And I was thinking maybe you should write Something that down. You should down. do. You should yeah. try listening to <laughs> other I think
1: people. You should listen. And also,
2: you know I did. you're just we having bad days multiple I, assholes i
1: guess where well, I, I listen
0: <laughs> like uh, surrounded by multiple assholes is what i meant
1: yes um so you you've been tied to the motorcycle industry for decades where do you see it going in the future it's it's a crazy atmosphere right now yeah you know we lost a generation of riders we've said it Outside of COVID, the industry was kind of flat and going in a different direction. And and you know what? Like, I I was the same way. I grew up on dirt bikes. I grew up on snowmobiles. I watched my dad wrenching on a Harley when I was growing up. It was just what what I did. And you don't see a lot of that anymore. Where do you see the future of our industry? Fuck, dude. I mean, Gavin Newsom just
0: announced that they're going to try and eliminate all gas vehicles in California in 2035. Yep. Saw it. You know, um, so that's, that's a wild one just to chuck out there, you know, and I'm all for the environment, certainly, but I think there's a place where we can meet in the middle on, on everything, which is really what the world needs to do right now is meet in the middle. Amen. Um, You know, I mean, it's, it's just everything's so polarizing right now. So the, the crazy thing is that this, this whole COVID thing has really, I, it's really inspired people to, to get outside again. Mm -hmm. And I think it's happened on all facets from RVs to boats, to motorcycles, to mountain bikes, to fishing and hiking and, you know, anything that's outdoor, it's like outdoors where it's at right now. Um, and I hope that that continues. I don't hope it's, I, I hope it's not just some little thing where people are like, let's go camping and then, you know, get back to the normal, the normal everyday life. Um, so there's good in it. I mean, the, the COVID thing I think has been great for the motorcycle industry, which is, you know, not that it's fucked up to say, it's just the truth. Um, You know, dealerships are getting emptied out of bikes and products, not in stock. And, you know, I think everyone, if you've done a good job and you have some inventory and you have products relevant, you're selling it right now. And um, I hope that continues. I hope that, I hope that kids are getting a big taste of it. I know that they sold a lot of mini bikes um, and small bikes. I know that you can't get, a lot of the smaller stuff right now, and it just goes to show that people are still hungry for two wheel and two wheels and adventure, and maybe they just needed some inspiration to to figure it out again. And uh, I hope that that has staying power. You know, I think it does. Um, when I was a kid, and I rode a motorcycle, I didn't want to do anything else afterwards.
1: Yeah, it's it's funny that you say that because I got two uh, CR fifties for my kids, two Hondas. Um, they rip around, they enjoy it, but I don't know, man, it's weird. Like when I had a dirt bike, you couldn't get me off of it until I ran out of gas or broke the chain link, something like that. I I would be riding on that dirt bike or snowmobile in, in the winter. But now kids are all about kind of electric scooters and handheld devices and stuff. So I, I get it, man. It's, it's interesting.
0: Well, on the, on the electric side, I mean, to me, if you're a kid, or you're just starting out, you know, on, on two wheels. I mean, I don't, I don't care if they're riding gas or electric, you know. Yeah. And, and I don't really care if you're riding gas or electric. Um, You're still on two wheels. So building electric that meets the expectations of guys who are used to riding, you know, a 450 motocross bike, which, you know, some companies have done. Um, Reaching that expectation on a street bike. You know, I've ridden the lightning electric, which is a pretty radical bike. Um, and it's, it's interesting to think about how that can progress in the future. I mean, really the spirit of being on two wheels and the, the feel of it and all that, I mean, audio is a big part of it, but maybe there's a new feeling without the sound of a motor. I don't really look forward to not hearing a motor. I love engines. (laughs) I love gearboxes. I love the mechanical aspect of a bike that uses gas instead of electric, but, if I had to have a choice and that choice was don't ride or ride electric, I'd have to ride electric. Um, and there's a lot of really cool choices for young people now, you know, stay sick. Who's a company that we work with um, building the little small electric bikes for kids, super 73, who builds a great entry level electric bike and who's starting to get into some dealerships. Stasek's obviously getting in the dealerships with Harley Davidson. So they have entry level bikes. Um, and that's something that the industry needs more than anything else is something that somebody could get on. That doesn't have a gearbox that still has a throttle. So you're still riding a motorcycle and get you started, man, get you started. And you don't even need right now You need to ride those. You don't need insurance. You don't need a license. You can just jump on the thing and ride it out of your house, ride to the store and back, you know, and that's, I think a pretty cool place to be.
2: Let Let me ask you something relative to that. We've been talking to power sport dealers for years now about, uh, Uh, e-bicycles, uh, one of the biggest growing segments in the bicycle industry. And I know, uh, uh, former racer, Eddie Lawson is, uh, has a custom painted the, the Kawasaki custom green paint, uh, on a giant e-bike. He's an ambassador for giant bicycles. So where do e-bikes fit? And is this the natural bridge between kids playing bicycles and maybe introducing a whole new generation into power sports rolling?
0: A hundred percent, dude. And I mean, the super 73 for me is the bridge. That's the bridge bike. Do you, do you guys know what those things are?
2: I'm pulling it up right now. Stand by. No, no I, I haven't
1: heard of that yet.
0: <clears throat> so we're working on, um, this is like breaking news, I guess, but we're working on a collab with these guys to bring, um, e-bikes into power sports. Um, Love it. and they're cool, man. I mean, the price, you can't beat the price points, dude. They're like from 1500 bucks up to four grand for one with suspension and a bigger motor and all that stuff. But, they're not motorcycles in any way, shape, or form. These are like way more bicycles that are built for guys who have never been on two wheels before or somebody who's been on two wheels their whole life and just needs a, a little um a motorhome putt bike or a, a neighborhood neighborhood cruiser, you
1: know? I can totally see why you like these <laughs> these things are they look they look like. The little pit badass. <laughs> it's it's they like are. a mini dirt bike without the without the engine in the middle of it. These are cool.
0: Yeah. I mean, if you ever been to the, I wish I had one of these when I was racing. Cause I'd constantly like, I had a scooter at the races and I always had to kickstart it cause the battery was constantly dead. And it was like, you got to get on it, put the kickstand down, fire the thing up, you know, ride it, shut it off. These you like literally jump on and hit the gas and the thing just goes, you know, you don't have to start it or stop it, it makes no noise. You know, they're cool. So you'll
1: be, you'll be tricking one of these things out f- uh, with your name on it.
0: Yeah, no, we. I got, I got plans right now to uh, introduce a couple of them in about a month and a half at a, a little special, like private little show that we're doing.
2: Yeah, that thing is super cool. You know, I, I, I constantly feel like the definition of the power sports industry is changing. Those little electric scooters that you can just grab on the street corner and zip around on, and they got those skateboard hoverboard things with the one wheel in the middle of them, and. Yeah. I don't know, man. Uh, you, I I broke down Desmo Adichie, the Yamaha T Max and the and the monkey. I, I see a bird in a lime scooter coming along the lines with your Super Seventy three oh, getting all tricked scooter. out. Dude,
0: whatever gets people on a powered vehicle, man, I mean, you know, it's 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 what you, I don't think you can be too cool to ride just about anything. I don't know if you've ever ridden one of those bird scooters. They're they're dangerous as shit, especially because you know, fifty percent of the time you get on when you've been drinking. And, <laughs> like I've had so much fun on these things with my friends in the city before. And when we went to Austin, and we did MotoGP in Austin. It was like we had to get from one spot to another. No, there was no cabs or we just like, let's just grab a bunch of birds. And it's like a gang of people riding through the city at night from bar to bar. It was so much fun. So much fun. Dangerous, but but a lot of fun.
1: So do you have plans to make an electric motorcycle look badass? Like, the, you know, you've taken a lot of gasoline powered motorcycles and and just tricked them out uh, you have a future in that?
0: Um, I have no problems customizing anything with two wheels, really. I think that the, the electric, I'm still waiting for the right electric motorcycle project. Um, and I've, I've said, I was going to focus on this, the smaller stuff initially, you know, I wanted to focus on entry level. Cause I think that that's where, that's where motorcycles need more inspiration and th- rather than anywhere else, they need to be entry level. They need to be like really obtainable, you know, when we, like when you, when you don't have the barriers of entry, like insurance and you don't have to uh, have a motorcycle license to ride something that's like, you know, has whatever, I don't know, the two horsepower whatever the, the little electric scooters are like, that's the entry level. That's how you get new people in the sport. That's how, you know, I get my wife's friends on bikes hanging out and they're like oh i can ride this i'm like sure you can ride it go ahead and they just zip down the street and come back i'm like that's super fun where do i get one giant smile on their face yeah huge Um, smile on their face it'll be it'll be the first two-wheeled vehicle with power that they'd ever ridden in their life and it's like super easy to do i mean you can ride a bicycle you can ride an electric bike it's not there's no question (laughs)
2: <laughs> Sorry, I just my mind went to if you can catch a wrench or if you can dodge a wrench. <laughs> 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 um let, let me ask fair. you, I, I get that you're playing in the space with small displacement and entry-level e-bikes for for new riders and everything, but you had mentioned lightning, and I remember that bike. I remember it from, I don't know, five or six years ago when it came out. Super aggressive looking sport bike, all electric. Um, we've seen Bromo out there, we've seen Zero now for years. Um, how is it that we can have all these Teslas out on the road? How is it that Nautique can come out with an electric boat and we don't have full, the equivalent of a leader bike in an electric sport bike out there? What's missing?
0: I mean, Lightning's probably the closest. Lightning's got, I mean, they have what is a thousand CC bike. I mean, that thing went 203 miles an hour at Bonneville or something like that, which is insane. But the price is pretty, pretty high, man. I mean, the guy who, yeah, the guys who. We're buying sport bikes. I mean, right now you can get a thousand CC sport bike used for seven grand that kicks ass.
1: Yeah. What I was thinking, as you said that, Sam, because I was going to hit rolling up for this is I know he said entry level. He wanted to flirt with that. Dude, I I want you to go look at Energica out of Italy. Oh, Uh, yeah. Yeah. I'd love to see you mess with one of those things. I mean, you already Desmoded up. That seems like you could do some really trick stuff to that motorcycle.
0: Yeah. These things are pretty decent, aren't they?
1: Energika's pretty badass motorcycle. I have not ridden one, but we have a couple of our dealers that have them, and they say they are just beyond scary fast.
0: One of so, my buddies rode these over the other day. Actually, one of the guys, he's uh, he's the CEO of our Super 73. He's got one of these.
1: Yeah, dude. I'm telling you, it, it probably doesn't take much to be just like, hey man, my name's Roland Sand. I want to check out one of your bikes and we're <laughs> yeah. off and rolling. I want to make sure I see that episode, though.
0: Yeah. Energica, send me a bike. We'll there check you it out. go,
1: Energica. You're listening. He wants a bike. He can trick it out.
2: That's right. You can just send all three to Tony or Sam, and we'll make sure that Roland gets his. Promise. <laughs> yeah,
1: It's like
0: a Ducati with a huge suitcase in the middle of it. Right. That's
2: right. That's what I'm wondering. Why? How come we can't figure this out? And and no disrespect to Harley-Davidson with their live wire. Tony and I spent a, a day out in California, um on a live wire Canyon carving with a couple of clients and good friends of ours. And that thing is really fun. It's got a range problem. And honestly, I think it's got a price point problem for the range problem that it has, but I just don't know how more of them aren't out there. And to your point, Roland with the sound, you know, we got, we got these exotic sports cars that they're piping in sound into the stereo system to make us feel like uh, it still has the same sound. But at the point where the performance is winning you over, I think these things will, will take hold and uh, internal combustion engines will, I know a lot of people are going to hate me for this comment, but they will slowly fade away. Maybe not the time Gavin Newsom out in California wants them to fade away, but they will slowly fade away.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at this Energica Superbike right now, like the legit Superbike that they built. And this thing's sexy. Oh, the Moto E-Bike. The Moto E-Bike is sick.
1: Hey, buddy. Livermore, Santa Monica, Glendale, California. There's dealers right next to you.
0: Give me up guys. Here we go guys.
1: If you're so I'm listening over. out there,
0: I want one of these I want on one of these Moto e-bikes. This thing is sick. The electric, I think we're still technologically speaking, we're a little bit I think we're a little bit behind. I mean with automobiles you have such a big footprint in you and weight's not an issue. That with a motorcycle it is such an issue and and scale and weight is such an issue on a on a superbike. That you just start when you start getting up to that power level, you just run up against size constraints and weight constraints, you know. So no matter yeah. what, if the equivalent of two hundred horsepower of a mm-hmm. two hundred horsepower su- superbike bolted to a sport bike chassis is a a big, big lump. But that'll change. I mean it has to. Like when on you know, people are spending this much money on on battery technology. Um, I mean yeah. it's sure to change in the in the next you know, five years, I would think.
1: Lastly, man, you getting your kiddos. I know you and I exchanged emails a couple of times and talking about kiddos. You get, you getting your kiddos riding motorcycles.
0: I got my kids on, um, uh, for sure. We take, I take them for rides all the time on the super 73s and I take them for a ride on my Harley occasionally, but they're riding, uh, they're riding Stasics, man.
1: Mm. Love it. Yeah.
0: My three-year-old got off well, Did she ride? She rode a Stasic first before a pedal bicycle. I got them on push bikes. So, um, the uh, it's a company that does the push bikes
1: totally space. Strider, Strider,
0: Strider, yeah. So, um, Strider sent out a couple bikes and I put the kids on them and they love them. They ride them constantly in my backyard. They're like little Moto GP racers in my backyard, you know, racing around everything and then, um, Then uh, I put her on the Stasic and she immediately jumped on the Stasic and can ride it. And um, I didn't even have to teach her how to ride a real bicycle. She just jumped on the real bicycle and pedaled it like she'd been doing it her whole life. So it's like the transition from, you know, from the Striders to the Stasics to bicycles is like seamless. Once they, once they learn on the Strider, it's like, you don't really have to teach them anything else. You just give them the next bike and they jump on it and go. It's pretty cool. I, remember when i was a kid trying to learn a bicycle and it hurt yeah (laughs) often
2: it it hurt often yeah yeah so so uh what don't we know roland what's next for you what's coming any teasers you could put out there for us shoot um
0: we're about to go race a bagger race at laguna seca
1: (laughs) (laughs) i saw that
0: I i mean it's 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 ridiculous but it's also entertaining at the same time so that makes me game for it, you know, I mean, it falls right in line with racing heavy street bikes on the dirt, you know, which is basically Super Hooligan racing in a nutshell. Um and Super Hooligan, you know, went from us riding five hundred plus pound bikes as fast as we could on the dirt to, you know, some bikes that work really, really well on the dirt. And um I like to think that it pushes OEMs to think about what's next and what's possible. Um and maybe this bag of road race thing will do the same Do the same thing, you know, I mean, a Harley, a Harley Road Glide and a Indian Chieftain or Challenger weigh about 820, 850 pounds. And we're looking to have a bike that I think weighs 620 pounds, but does the job, does the same job as a, as a bagger does. So um, maybe it'll inspire the OEMs to build really cool long distance cruisers with a lot more ground clearance and less weight. I don't know. We'll see.
1: Rolling sands, man. I know you're a busy dude i know you got a lot of people pulling on you to do this kind of stuff uh super honored to have you on our podcast i think our dealers are going to love it thank you so much for this hang
0: stoked to talk to you guys man It was a cool conversation and uh yeah if you want to do it again let me know and you know i i I love chatting with the dealers too and seeing what's what's cooking on their end so if there's any feedback from dealers man love to love to get back to them and, and respond and communicate with them so no worries
1: yeah, we'll pass that on if we hear. It. I'm sure we'll hear positive uh, feedback on this, man. And if Sam and I are ever out in uh, Cali, I'd definitely love to come and see your operation.
0: Anytime, guys. We're out here in Los Alamitos, California. We're uh, we're actually gonna move here in the next. If everything goes like it's supposed to go, we're gonna move to Long Beach in like the next three months. We're building a new space out there, so we got a new home base. And um, love to have anybody who wants to come out, come to the shop
2: that's awesome man info at RolandSands.com for our dealers that want to hook up with you or your product thank you yep. again for taking the time we really appreciate it
0: appreciate for, it guys see ya.
1: for roland sands and sam Dansler. i'm tony gonzalez thanks for listening to garagecast we'll see you guys later thanks everybody